Hey, I just want to say thank you for checking out this message today. I hope that it helps you, that it encourages you, and that you are able to learn a little bit more about who God is and why so many people throughout history have chosen to become followers of Jesus. If you enjoy this message and you want to hear more, you can find us on Facebook or YouTube, but ultimately you can find everything you need to know at clcwinnipeg.ca. There you can find more messages, you can find our social handles, ways to get connected to our church, and if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do that as well. And like I said before, I hope that you are encouraged by the message you're about to hear. God bless you. So I don't think I'm gonna be the only one here, but do you get a lot of fake phone calls? I know I did. For a while, I was actually getting probably two or three a day. I would usually get one right before my alarm went off in the morning to wake me up, which was almost unbearable. I would get one at lunch and then usually one in the afternoon around dinner. And this was driving me nuts because usually I can look and I, I see if it's an 800 number, I know I probably don't need to pick it up. But then they started using phone numbers that were actually very similar to my own. And that would really get me sometimes because it can look like a real number. And of course I pick it up and here I am learning that the CRA is sending people after me because I've apparently been invading my tax or my social insurance number was stolen or something. And this would happen all the time. In fact, it happened to the point where I actually just eventually had to block any incoming calls that were not in my contacts. So if you happen to get my number and I don't have yours and you try to call me, I'm not ignoring you. Leave a voicemail and I will get back to you. Or another classic scam is where there's an email that you get from some prince in a foreign country who happens to have a whole fortune that they want to give you. And if you just give them your bank account information, they will definitely make sure that you get it. But the one that really gets me sometimes is when I get an ad and it says you can use this to start making between like one and $10,000 weekly with this one simple method. And I've spent far more time than I'm proud of researching what these guys are selling. What is this system? What are they promising will make me a fortune? And realistically, I know that none of these are real and usually the first marker that I can use to be able to spot a fake is that it often seems too good to be true. If it seems like this thing couldn't possibly exist, it's probably for good reason. It doesn't. But in the day and age where people are looking for fast solutions to big problems, these opportunities can really take advantage of people. But every once in a while, there comes a time in our life where we might get a gift that does seem too good to be true. Maybe there's something that you've been waiting for that finally comes through and you just can't believe it actually finally happened. Maybe you have an incredible stroke of luck that you never saw coming. It could be something as simple as walking on the street and you pick up a $20 bill with no one around you and it meets you exactly where you need it. It can be hard to deal with gifts that seem too good to be true because they don't come around very often. But when they do, they can be tricky to navigate because it's so rare. So this brings us to the question, for today. What do you do with a gift that's too good to be true? Well, to answer this question, today we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew, chapter 1, as we begin a new series called The Gift Exchange. And this series is based on the idea of Jesus' birth as a gift to us and to the world. 
The birth of Jesus was a gift to us as Jesus came to earth as God in human form. And over the next few weeks, we're going to explore that gift and some of the other gifts that we may find in the Christmas season. And today we're focusing on the gift of Jesus. So if you're following along with your Bible or with the phone app or whatever, we're today in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 24. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take home Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So here Joseph found himself in a bit of a sticky situation. As you read this passage, you may notice that there are a few things that don't seem to be totally consistent. I had to read this passage several times just to try to understand what exactly was happening with Mary and Joseph at this time. We see at first that they are pledged to be married to each other, but they haven't done anything to consummate their marriage yet. But Mary is found to be pregnant. But then it says that Joseph, her husband, is planning to divorce her. Then the angel says that Joseph should take Mary home as his wife, as though they're not already married, which he does, so that now they are married. It's a little bit confusing to read. But looking into this passage a little more, we can learn a little bit more about the Jewish process of how marriages came to be. And a young couple could be considered engaged at quite a young age. And this was different than how we understand engagement today. There was no getting down on one knee or fireworks or expensive diamond rings involved. What it was instead was an arrangement from the parents to say, one day we will see our two children get married, as it would often benefit both families to do so. But then there was another stage, and that's where we meet Joseph and Mary. And the second stage was called betrothal. This was kind of in between what we would consider being married and engaged. In this time, they weren't living together and they hadn't consummated their marriage in any way, but they would be called husband and wife. And it was a legal contract that one would have to divorce their way out of. So during this year of betrothal, they did not fully function as husband and wife, but certainly knew that it was coming. So for Mary to become pregnant during this time was a problem for Joseph. And he likely assumed that she had been unfaithful, breaking their agreement, which would have made it a pretty easy decision for him to quietly just divorce her. Until an angel of the Lord shows up. And we're going to spend some time on what the angel says to Joseph because there's some really important truths in what they said that apply to us today. And that first truth is that Jesus was the gift from the Jews. So first off, the first thing that the angel says to Joseph in this dream is Joseph, son of David. And this is really interesting because Joseph isn't really the son of David. His father's name was Jacob. In fact, according to the whole genealogy that's earlier in this chapter, Joseph is actually like 25 generations removed from David. So sure, he is directly in the royal line that reigned over Jerusalem, 
but he's actually about a thousand years removed from David. So Joseph was probably very aware of this royal heritage that he had, but we know that Jesus became a carpenter and that Herod was the current king of Israel. So we can probably assume that Joseph was not royal. He's probably a pretty regular guy. So why would an angel point out that he's a descendant of David? Well, Matthew wrote this book for the Jewish people that were now converted to Christianity who were still living under the rule of the Roman Empire. That was the immediate audience that he had in mind. And he needed to communicate to them that there was a sense of how Jesus was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. For thousands of years, they had been waiting for a Messiah to come from the line of David who would set them free from their oppressors and establish their own rule on the earth. And they thought that their Messiah was going to be a national liberator that would help them to live out their rule and reign here on the earth. But as it turns out, Jesus was just as much of a gift for the Jews as he was a gift from the Jews. Jesus was a gift from the Jews and that one simple phrase, Joseph, son of David, helps us to confirm that. So, if he wasn't really just for the Jews, then who was Jesus a gift for? Because they assumed that the Messiah would be someone who would set up their rule and overthrow governments. And many had tried. There was no shortage of men in that time who had claimed that they were the Messiah who had come to set the Jewish people free. But nothing re really ever came of any of those fake revolutionaries. They were fakes. They may have had a few followers, but they were never able to establish the kind of power that would be required to overthrow the Roman Empire. Never even close. Until Jesus. So see, about 300 years after Jesus died, his followers did manage to make Christianity the dominant religion in Rome. But this wasn't through military might or anything like that. Followers of Jesus were just practicing what he preached, which was far from violent or anything like that. And it was through sharing the simple gift of Jesus with those around them that they become became the dominant religion in the Roman Empire. Which brings us to our second observation of this angel's message. Jesus was a gift for everyone. Jesus never intended to just come and save the Jews. He was never sent as a political or a military leader. He was sent as a teacher, a healer, a redeemer, and as a savior from sin. The angel even says, he will save his people from their sins. And for the Jewish people reading this, they knew that the Messiah was going to save them from their sins. This had been prophesied a few times in the Old Testament, but that wasn't really their focus on the Messiah. But Matthew makes it clear as day that his purpose was to save and deliver his people from their sin. Even the name Jesus means to save or to deliver. And the angel doesn't say God's chosen people or the Jews specifically the angel says that he would save his people, the people of Jesus, his followers. Anyone who would dare to call Jesus Lord over their lives would be saved. And Jesus would help them defeat sin. And this gift of defeating sin, lucky for us, is a gift that we can receive in three simple steps. Number one, Jesus helps us defeat sin by defeating the penalty of sin. Through his death and resurrection, laying himself down as a sacrifice and fulfilling all of the ceremonies and rituals that the Jews had been required to follow since like the days of the Ten Commandments. 
Jesus was going to lay himself down as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. The penalty for sin had always been death, and Jesus came to pay that penalty once and for all. Jesus also came to help us defeat the power of sin. How many of us know what a stronghold that sin can have in your life? Probably all of us. If you've been a Christian for a bit, you probably know that there have been things that are just difficult for you to let go of that you really wish you could. If you're not a Christian, you probably know that there are patterns in your life that you don't like and you wish that you could overcome. And it's through Jesus and surrendering your life to him that he can actually begin to change those patterns in your life because he helps us to defeat the power of sin. And lastly, he helps us defeat the presence of sin. Sin can always sneak up in your life. I've often heard it said that it would be impossible to live a day without having sinned. And I suppose that may be true, but I one day heard a Bible college professor say that as we are following Jesus, doing our best to be obedient to his commands and being transformed by the Holy Spirit, we should actually expect that we would not sin some days. And between those two, I don't know it's true. The Bible doesn't tell us how often we should expect to sin as followers of Jesus. But I know that we should certainly expect to sin less. And the presence of sin in our lives should definitely be less than it was before. And with Jesus, he can slowly but surely defeat the presence of sin in our lives. Hebrews 2.14 says this about Jesus coming as a human. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. That's how Jesus helped us to defeat sin. He became a human. Dying to break the power of death. And in doing so, fulfilling every prophecy that had been made about him. And there's one more passage in this message from the angel that I want to focus on today before we close. Verse 23 says that this was to fulfill a prophecy that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son and they would call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want to talk about the miracle that I believe God with us is. And first off, I want to talk about God with us. Jesus as as God in human form. First off, we really need to emphasize that Jesus was God. Jesus came down from heaven and he took on a human body. This wasn't God masquerading as a human. It wasn't a clever costume. And it wasn't that Jesus was only human sometimes and only God sometimes. Jesus was fully human, fully God. And the miracle was that we found out that the full power of the presence of God was compatible with a human body. Because we have seen Jesus come to earth, we know that the potential for God in our lives is so much greater than people had once realized. There's no longer a barrier between humans who are God's image bearers anyways and God. We can now experience God's power in its fullness as he gives it in our everyday lives. Because God is with us. Let's focus on the word with. Jesus came to earth so that he actually knew what it would be like. 
God wanted to be with us. He wanted to get down and dirty and figure out what we were actually experiencing from a firsthand perspective. And before then, did he know what it was like to be a human? Yeah, probably. He knows everything. But there's something powerful that happens for us as we're able to then say, if Jesus did this, I can too. If Jesus could make it through this life, sinless, holding on to God the Father as a source for strength, there's hope that we can too. And not only that, but Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to help us. He paved the way for us. And then he sent us reinforcements to help us get through. No matter how hard life gets, the gift of Jesus is what we lean on. So with this gift of Jesus, it seems too good to be true. We just do our very best to receive it. But we don't stop there. Question for you, how many of you had siblings growing up? Were you an oldest or middle or younger child? I think that one experience that may have been common for some of us that did have siblings was the experience of opening up a gift on Christmas. Let's say it's a toy that you really wanted and you get all excited and you start to play with it and you're having a great time. This is something you've been looking forward to until along comes your little sister and now they want to play with your toy. But you know it's yours, so you tell them to back off. But then you hear from a parent nearby that phrase that no child ever really wants to hear. You have to share. Like, could it get any worse in that moment? You finally get your hands on the toy that you really wanted, and now you have to share with your little sister, who you probably don't even like that much at the best of times. That's really not what you were hoping for in that moment. And if you were an oldest child, that's definitely a lesson that you've had to learn the hard way. After potentially years of having all your toys and your parents to yourself, a younger brother or sister can really throw off your rhythm. If you're a middle child, you probably never really felt quite like anything was just yours because you were either receiving stuff down the line from the oldest or you were having to give it up to the youngest. And as, as a youngest child, honestly, I think we have it pretty good. We often get to use our older siblings' stuff, maybe a few hand-me-downs here and there. But we're also at the point where they no longer really care to use our stuff. So it's really, it's really kind of a best-case scenario. But you know what else is true? Generally, the bigger the gift, the more that you are required to share. If your parents or grandparents or someone really made an effort to buy a bigger gift, chances are that they're really going to want to see all of the kids getting a turn at it so they can get their money's worth. And this is a fun example, but we really have received the biggest gift possible. From Jesus, we received the gift of being free from sin and the gift of being able to enjoy eternal life with Jesus. And do you think that God sits up in heaven and now says, hey, keep it yourself. I got that just for you. He doesn't. He doesn't. God wants us to share the gift of Jesus far and wide and as often as we can. And I want to take us back to that phrase, God with us, one last time. I want you to notice that it's not, it's not singular. It doesn't say God with you or God with me. It's God with us. We don't learn about Jesus and keep it to ourselves. When we have Jesus, we're supposed to take him to the world around us. We live our Christian faith and community with other believers, but we also invite other 
people into it. We have the gift of Jesus to give, and this gift that is way too good to be true needs to be shared. Because we all know that people around us are caught in all types of sin. They have been victims of all types of sin and are suffering from the consequences of living in a sinful world. And the very best gift that you can give them is Jesus. So this Christmas season, as you're looking around, look for ways that you can help people and serve them. Jesus said that what you do for the least of those, you also do for me. And so we love them and we always point them to Jesus. And this Christmas, as we navigate another uncertain mid-pandemic Christmas season, you may not be able to give all the gifts you want, and you may not be able to help every person that you want to, but I encourage you to give people Jesus. Give people the one gift that keeps on giving, that is so good that it can be hard to believe it's even true. Let's pray together. God, I just, I thank you for the gift that is your son, Jesus. I thank you that we can receive that gift that seems way too good to be true. And we are able to, to spread that to others. That we're able to tell other people about this miraculous gift that frees us from sin and offers us eternal life that our hope and our future is secured through Jesus. And God, help us to be excited this Christmas season to be able to go out and share that with those around us. And I pray that people that we come across would be open to hearing that they would be open to receiving that gift of Jesus and that we would steward it well. We thank you for who you are and everything you've done in our lives. And we thank you for everything you're going to do. In your name we pray. Amen.